uh, is, is just sort of some of the big things coming up down the pike here. But how about in your life? Lose 10 pounds, read a, read a book a month, make a new friend, take a vacation, join a gym, put away extra money for retirement, find a new hobby, get back to church, get the vaccine. What are your resolutions for this new year? 2020, of course, reminded us that we make plans and then God laughs, but that doesn't mean that we should never make plans. James 4 does exhort us that we, we, as Christians, always qualify our plans with the caveat, if the Lord wills, I'll see you at church this Sunday, if the Lord wills, if, if he doesn't return first or take me home to be with him first or otherwise ruin my plans in some way. So we always have to qualify our plans. We, we don't just sit around and wait passively either. The Apostle Paul rebuked the Thessalonian church for that kind of idleness. No, God has left us in this world for a purpose. And we began last week unpacking what that purpose is. We are here to glorify him. We're here to glorify God. And so, quick recap, if you missed last week, we were created, Isaiah 43, 7. Everything was created to bring God glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 calls us to, to give God glory in everything we do in life, whether we eat or drink. There's even a way to glorify God. You resolve to lose weight in 2021, 20, to read more. That's great if it's for God's glory and not about your own. But we saw last week that there are three pursuits specifically which we are explicitly, inherently God glorifying and called to in Scripture. God doesn't say, thou shalt save for retirement. He doesn't say, thou shalt diet and exercise. But he does specifically command us to do these three things in his word over and over and over again in order that he might be glorified in us through our lives. And so they are accordingly the focus of our church's mission statement here at West Hills. Our answer to the question, why do we exist as a church? It's to do these three things in order to glorify God. And we started unpacking the first last week, community. We glorify God by living authentic Christian community with one another. God designed us for community. Uh, he devoted nearly half the New Testament to providing us guidelines for how to best live together in community. And he derives much glory from it, we saw, because God, number one, loves to watch his children love one another. And number two, it's one of the most powerful witnesses that he's left us to the unbelieving world of the unifying truth of the gospel. And so I ended last week by offering you three challenges for the new year in this area of community. Call them resolutions if you want. These are commitments worth resolving to in regard to community. Number one, you need to be with the gathered church on Sundays. Number two, you need to plug into a life group. Number three, you ought to join a discipleship group. Now, that's where we want to pick up this morning, and once again, since we are finishing this morning our exegesis of our mission statement as a church, I will invite you to stand with me as you're able, and once again, to recite with me to the extent that you feel comfortable our church's mission statement, and I'll remind you again, even if you're not a covenant member of West Hills, if you are just a Christian 
I can assure you, we're going to see this morning, everything here is so thoroughly biblical, this should be your personal mission statement, regardless of which church you belong to. And so I would invite you to recite this with me. We are a gospel-centered church who glorify God by living an authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed this morning as we read and are reminded of these words of the high, high calling that you've put on each of our lives and on our life collectively as a church. Jesus, this is a a calling that we can never hope to live up to in our own strength. We need you. We confess this morning. We fall short a thousand times a week of this high calling of glorifying you in all that we say and do, think, feel, living in authentic Christian community, growing in discipleship, loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, of, of letting that love flow out to those that you love in missional service, we fall short. So, Father, this morning we throw ourselves on your mercy and we thank you for your gospel love for us, unconditional love, that it's not because of anything in us, but because of everything in Christ that you have declared us free of condemnation, innocent, dressed in his righteousness alone, that we can be found spotless before your throne, that we can stand before you, approach your throne of grace with boldness because of the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for that gospel freedom And we pray that you might use this morning to further exhort us and motivate us, compel us to obedient, faithful response to your gospel love for us by responding with love for others and for you, discipleship and mission. We pray for your glory and in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We glorify God, number one, by living in community last week, but also, number two, this morning, through discipleship, by growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is an interesting word. Uh, Merriam-Webster doesn't have an entry entry for it. Neither does dictionary.com. Simply put, though, discipleship is growing in godliness. That's it. If Jesus is God, and we are called as his disciples to follow him, then discipleship means that over time we ought to look and sound and smell and feel and interact and emote and be more like Jesus, more godly. As our mission statement says, we will grow in spiritual maturities to be more like him. Now, why does this glorify God? I want to suggest to you three, uh, four, four reasons this morning. We're going to spend most of the rest of our time together on these four points on discipleship, and I'll tell you why when we get done working through them. Four reasons our discipleship glorifies God. Number one, because, as they say, 
Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. My daughter Ellery is really big into imitating right now. I don't know if any of y'all have kids that have been through that phase or maybe currently there. You remember that phase yourself, but uh, we, we as a family are just coming out of the Mary phase where Polly and I took turns being Joseph um, this Christmas season um, so that Ellery could act out the nativity story. Probably no exaggeration over a hundred times in December. Uh, she is obsessed with Mary for some reason. I'm still a little concerned she's going to convert to Catholicism. But uh, before Mary, it was Elsa. Polly had to braid her hair every day. Uh, she wanted to wear a frozen dress every day to school. Currently, it's Hermione. Ellery's been practicing her British accent, her spells and her charms and potions. She wants to know Hermione's favorite food. She wants to know what her, Hermione does to get ready for bed. And fun fact, uh, I don't know if you knew that Hermione loves vegetables and she's an avid teeth brusher. Um, but occasionally, not for weeks on end, but every so often, usually on Sunday afternoons, Ellery will, will pull out her little toy microphone She'll pull out her, her big fluffy chair from her bedroom. She'll flip it upside down to make a pulpit, and she'll pull out her Bible, and she'll say, Daddy, we're going to play church. I'm going to be you. You go get your guitar. You can be Pastor Scott. And I haven't been able to bring myself yet to broach the subject of women's roles in, the, in, in, in ministry because I'm just so honored that she would even think, you know, to, to want to pretend to be like me, that I somehow made it into this elite rotation with, with Elsa and Hermione and Mary. Friends, I want to suggest this morning that in the same way our Heavenly Father is honored and glorified when His children earnestly desire to be like Him, to imitate Him. Ephesians 5.1 calls us to be imitators of God as beloved children. 1 John 2 Verse 6 says we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, to this you have been called, that you might follow in his steps. Remember, that is why he called us. That's why he created us in the first place. Humanity, back in Genesis 1, God created man in his own image to be a unique reflection of God, to mirror his glory for the rest of the world to see. Now, does that make God self-centered? Kind of broached this, this subject last week. Actually, yes. God is self-centered in the best way possible. God is the only being in all the universe who can simultaneously be self-centered, God-centered, while he also blesses others because God really is the center of it all. And so our lives work best when we recognize him as such and submit to him as such and keep him central Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest, John 10.10. 10. But the way that you get it is by laying down your life, Luke 9.23, dying to yourself in order to live for me instead and to be raised to new life in me. Which leads us to reason number two, that God gets glory from our growth in Christlikeness because God is honored when his children flourish and thrive. I'm honored I get glory when Ellery listens to me and trusts me and obeys me and then experiences success because of it. It makes me proud as her father to continue the analogy, to watch her thrive. Like, ah, look at my child. Do you see her? She's mine. 
And because I love her and I want the very best for her, and usually I know better than she does how to accomplish it, in God's case, he always knows, God always knows better than us, our success, our flourishing, our thriving is our growing in godliness, discipleship. Becoming more like Jesus, that is God's best for us. That is life to the fullest. And so Ephesians 4, 22-24 summons us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, and now put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Paul declares before that in in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Think about that for a minute. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus this morning, you've got two natures, two selves inside you right now, a fleshly Nature, a sinful, old, dead self, and a godly nature, a new, pure, living self recreated in the image of God by the power of God's own spirit that lives in you, at work in you. And Paul is saying very simply, listen, it's good for me to die to the one so I can live to the other. It's, it's good for me. That, that's the self that I want to put on, the Christ self. Like if I have a choice today to live like Will of all, or Jesus Christ, trust me, it is best for everyone involved, my wife, my kids, this church, myself, that I die to the to will of all, to live to my new nature, Christ in me. And yet, Paul also confesses in Romans 7, it's really difficult. He says, I, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. According to Paul, if I've put my old self to death, the Bible says that I am now in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I am one with Christ, 1 Corinthians 6.17. And so Paul can say, look, it's not even me who keeps screwing up and doing all this stuff that I hate. Not the real me anyway. The real me is now in Christ. And yet... There's still this disgusting, rotting corpse of a person, this dead self, sin still dwelling within me. And sometimes it feels like a war raging inside me between the old me and the new me. And in this war, you're going to win some battles and you're going to lose some. But discipleship means that you ought to be winning more battles today than you were a year ago, certainly more than five years ago. Ten years ago, growth in godliness means that sin wins less now than it used to. And to the extent that that is true of your life, God gets glory. The more growth in you, the more glory for him because he loves to watch you flourish. And another major reason, number three for that, is that discipleship, number three, strengthens the Christian community. So we already saw last week, biblically, John 13, 1 John 4, that God loves it when his children love one another. And so it stands to reason then that the better we love one another, the more God loves it and the more we glorify him in our growth and love 
for one another. Have you ever heard someone say, he did the best he could? You've heard that, we've all heard that. You know, my dad, I think he loved me as much as he was able to. He was the best father he knew how to be. Given the tools that he had, he was working with, I think that that's got to be one of the saddest, most disappointing, tragic descriptions that you could ever be described as, as a person. Here's the thing. Biblically, if you're talking about a Christian, then it is simply not true. You can never say of a Christian she did the best she could given the tools she was working with because discipleship is all about getting better tools. Discipleship is about our inexhaustible access to better tools. It's about sharpening the tools we've already been given in Christ in order to better love God and love others. Just listen to how the Apostle Peter puts it. He says, Christ's divine power has granted to us all things, not some things, not most things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Peter just said, translation, you know, it's true. God really did call you to his own glory and excellence. God commands us repeatedly in his word, be holy as I am holy. Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, 20, 21, 1 Peter 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 5, be perfect as I am perfect. Because I'm your heavenly father, I, I want nothing less than the very best for you. God commands it. But God doesn't call us to be holy, completely holy, and then leave us without the tools for the job. That would be cruel and unfair. Right? That would be like me ordering my five-year-old daughter, or my ten-month-old son for that matter, to go change the oil in my car. That is not what God has done. Peter lists for us four tools here that are now in your tool belt, if you are a bona fide, born-again believer in Christ, four tools to get the job done. Number one, God's promises, his precious and very great promises. Number two, God's presence. We are now partakers of the divine nature. God's own spirit actually lives inside us and changes us from the inside out. Number three, God's pardon from sin. Promises, presence, pardon, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, he says. We are no longer held in bondage under, under the weight, the condemnation of our, our sin, the power of sin that once enslaved us. Rather, we now have, number four, God's own power animating our new natures. He says, Christ's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means God has given you in Christ Jesus every tool that you need in your tool belt to be holy as God is holy. To, to be, grow up in spiritual maturity into the image and likeness of Christ as he's called you 
to do. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. It doesn't mean he won't still love you when you fail. It just means we don't make excuses for ourselves. Well, I'm doing the best we can. I can. No. We want to pursue him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Seek first the kingdom of righteousness. These aren't tools for changing oil. Right? These, are, these are tools specifically for loving God and loving his people better. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus has left us with. He said they sum up all the law and the prophets. This is what it means to be holy as God is holy. It means to love him and to love others with everything in you. And this is why God gives us the gift of discipleship, so we can do that better and grow in our ability to please him. Listen to how Paul describes why God gives us discipleship. Ephesians 4, he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God wants to make us better ministers, like Christ Jesus, the ultimate minister. Why? For building up the body of Christ, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. It's about community, right? And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is discipleship. Discipleship is attaining, striving for mature manhood, the fullness of Christ. That's our vision, our goal, our, our, our heart's pursuit. And why does God equip us for it? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. That was the reason number two. We just recognize it's for our flourishing because we're God's children and he loves us. God doesn't want us to drown. Strong, mature disciples are better swimmers to make it through the waves and the storms of life. But also, watch this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, discipleship. Why? Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's why. Paul's metaphor here for the church is a body. And a body is only as strong as its weakest part. We got Ellery, I'm talking about her a lot in the sermon, but I, I like the analogy. We'll stick with it. We got her a, uh, a ninja warrior course for Christmas. And I made the mistake of trying to do a backflip this past week. I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, play volleyball with a, a, a pulled muscle in your lower back. But I can personally attest that when each part is not working properly, as Paul says here, in fact, if even just one part isn't functioning properly, even the tiniest part, like tr try and go jump and play volleyball with a broken pinky toe, you are in trouble. You're in for a world of pain. That is why you need That's why we need discipleship. You need to grow up in godliness because a body is only as strong as its weakest member. And if you're a member here at this church, you don't want to be the reason that we're limping around, that we're dysfunctional, we're not functioning at full capacity. The weak member, Paul says, Christ makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's the thing. God loves you so much that he wants to grow me as your pastor, so that he can use me to better serve you. 
as your pastor. The, the more that I grow in Christ personally, the more reliable I'm going to be able to point you to Jesus. And guess what? God also reciprocally loves me so much that he wants to grow you up to every single one of you here at West Hills. He wants to grow you up so that he can use you to bless me as well, to encourage me. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, to pray for me. 1 Timothy 2.1, to serve joyfully alongside me. 1 Peter 4.10, to give me Christmas bonuses. 1 Timothy 5.17, this is all the fruit of discipleship, right? This is you growing up becoming more like like Jesus to bless me and reciprocally because God loves us. Better disciples make better churches. We cannot be the church that God wants us to be if you are not the disciple that God wants you to be. It's that simple, and Jesus loves his church. He wants to build us up individually so he can use us to build one another up collectively. And the last reason our discipleship glorifies God, number four, is once again because it's such a powerful witness to the gospel, to the lost world around us. In the same way that last week we said authentic Christian community forces the world to ask, what is the glue that holds this motley crew together? So too, when we give our lives away and the service and obedience to Christ, growing in godliness, it forces the world to ask, why? Why do you set your alarm a half hour earlier when it's so dark and cold outside? It feels so much better to just stay in bed. Why do you get up early to pursue the Lord, to seek first his kingdom and righteousness, to spend time with him in his word and prayer? Why, why do you do that? Why do you come to church every Sunday in the middle of a pandemic? Are you all crazy? Right? I thought they said essential businesses only. I told Miss June I was going to call her out. June Nystrom, 95 and a half years old. I bet your neighbors think you're crazy, don't they? Right? Like here she is, this, this sweet old lady on our street, always looking out for everyone else. But she's getting up and getting dressed and coming to church every single Sunday. Like, do we need to look out for her now and rat her out to her kids and, so they can hold her hostage and keep her from coming here and risking her life to be with God's people on Sundays? She must be losing her mind, right? I pray, June, my prayer for you is that your neighbors would confront you and ask you those questions. And I pray that when they do, you would be able to testify to the truth that some things in life are worth risking your life for. And frankly, the worst that can happen is it, as we sang this morning, hastens the day when she'll see the Lord face to face, her homecoming, see him in person. That's the thing. We're we're all kind of zooming with the Lord down here right now. One day we'll see him in person. Those of you who are tuning in virtually right now get it. Like, it's, it's not the same, the virtual thing. One day we'll get to see him face to face. If you want to really freak your neighbors out, just tell them how excited you are to die. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, I can't wait to get out of here. But in the meantime, I'm going to make the most of every second that God leaves me here to live for Christ, to leverage my time and my resources for the advancement of his kingdom. Listen, Jesus has left us with a job to do. He's left us with a mission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That is the third way that we bring God glory that we'll get to in just a moment. But we need to recognize first, before then, once again, God hasn't left us without the tools for the job. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, his presence. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I give it to you. I'm sending you out in my name, with my authority, in my power, with my presence, to do the job I've commissioned you to do. And guess what? You're going to need it. Because in your own strength, you are totally unequipped, totally out of your league. Really? Go and make disciples of all nations? You won't even cross the street to talk to your neighbor about Jesus. No. You, you, you cannot do this without his presence and power. Because guess what? You've still got a dead you walking around inside you. That corpse. Sin still lives in you. And so you've got to be constantly growing in Christ, discipleship, putting him on, putting off your old self, if you're going to be able to be used by him at all for his great commission purposes for your life. You need to grow in Christ-likeness. Here's the other thing about this relationship between discipleship and mission, kind of our, our transition to our last point, is that light shines brightest in the darkness, Right? Jesus calls us to be, Matthew 5, the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And again, it's always about him getting glory. That means there are two ways that our witness can get amplified in this world. Number one, if the world gets darker, and number two, if our light gets brighter. Now, I want to suggest to you the world is doing its part. The world is getting darker every day. It's going to hell in a handbasket. It is easier to stand out today as a Christian like a sore thumb than ever before. But you will stand out even more if your light gets brighter. Discipleship means upping your wattage. You used to be a 60-watt volt. I don't do electricity. Now you're a 100-watt. And so we can actually thank God for 2020 for this year that we just had. Because the darker that things got and the fewer answers that the world had to offer, the less hope that the world had to offer, the more brightly God's light shone through us, I pray, as a witness in that dark world. God made it really easy for us as his people this past year to do what he's actually left us here on earth to do, to be missional. I mean, you want to be countercultural in a COVID world? Be faithful instead of fearful. Be grateful instead of grumbling. Be full of hope because you know your hope is not in the shifting circumstances of this world. Your hope is seated in heaven with Christ Jesus. And you will stand out like a sore thumb. Smile in, in, in 2021. Until we get a vaccine, you know, that all of us can get. Just smile and you'll be countercultural. Now, you should be thoroughly convinced, I hope, that we are here for the glory of God. And I hope that I've now proven to you four times over that God gets lots of glory from our becoming more like him, those four reasons. So the last question on this discipleship issue is how do we do it? 
How do we do it? Okay, pastor, I'm sold. I want to grow and be more like Jesus in 2021. How do I do it? And I'll suggest to you the two primary means that God has given us for our growth in him are his word and prayer. Nothing new here this morning. It's the age-old spiritual disciplines, the old paths that lead us to the Lord, ordinary means of grace, his word and prayer. 2 Timothy 3, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Discipleship. He grows us up through his word, changes us. And Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, we have not ceased to pray for you, Paul says, to pray for you. Why? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Discipleship. If you're going to be like him, i got to pray for you, Paul says, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It only happens if God changes you from the inside out by the power of his word and his spirit word and prayer. And so, here is my challenge for us, West Hills, for you. In the area of discipleship, I told you last week, with each of these three things, community, discipleship, mission, I'm going to give you not only the scripture to get your head around it, but then a practical call to action to, to pursue and hang your hat on in 2021. I'll give you two here for this one. Number one, be discipled. Very simply, be discipled. Do it. Grow up in every way into the, the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Listen, there are a lot of churches this time of year that will run like a you know, 21 days of prayer campaign or 30 days of listening to God and his word campaign. That's all fine if the goal is to create these new habits that are going to become a new norm for you. Because listen, here's the thing. If we're going to be really honest about it, you and I need so much more than a three or four a week sort of, you know, power wash. <laughs> we better be swimming in God's word and prayer every single day, 365 days a year, every year for the rest of your life. That's what you need. That's what I need. I don't know about you. I am too sinful not to spend time with the Lord daily. I don't have the luxury of taking days off. My flesh is too strong. If you had a fatal disease and you had to take medicine every day just to stay alive, I bet you would do it. Right? Here's the great thing about discipleship. Spending time with God isn't like holding your nose and taking your yucky medicine. It is a joy. And the more you grow to know the Lord and love him and be like him, the more you cherish that daily time with him, the more you can't miss it. You, you wouldn't because it really is the best part of your day. I had this just sort of in the first service, the slogan popped into my mind, you know, the little, little jingle, the best part of waking up. It's not Folgers in your cup. It's time with the Lord and his word and in prayer. So do it this new year. Make it a resolution. Keep it. Keep it. Anyone can make resolutions. Keep it. Keep that resolution. It's worth it. Resolve to spend time with the Lord daily in his word and in prayer. 
but recognize along the way that the old you will already be ready to flake out on that commitment like tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning when your alarm goes off and it's still dark and cold out, your flesh is going to say, hit the snooze button, stay in bed. That's why we need these guardrails in our life to keep us on track. That's why God gives us the gifts of community. Don't miss church. Don't miss being at life group. Join a Sunday class. Steve Johnson and Mark Hinderlong are getting ready to teach through the Gospel of John Sunday mornings. Join a discipleship group. It's not too late. I'll find a group for you, some guys, some gals, for you to grow alongside this year, to grow under. Some of you need to be mentored by someone more mature in the faith than you in 2021. The Apostle Paul has the audacity, 1 Corinthians 11.1, to call people to be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. The audacity. Could you say that to someone? Come follow me. Pattern your life after me as I follow and pattern my life after Christ. Have you said that to someone? That's my second call to action for you and for us as a church in this new year. Disciple someone else. If you selfishly want to grow in Christ this year, even if that's all it is, the very best way for you to ensure that you are growing is by investing in someone else, by discipling someone else. It's true that they say, you, you always learn more, grow more by teaching others than they do. Satan would have you believe that you have to be perfect to disciple someone else. The Apostle Paul wasn't perfect, far from it. But he called people to imitate him as he imitated Christ. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be a little more spiritually mature, a little farther down the path than the person you're discipling. And that's the thing. Even then, you're still both going to grow. We still both have plenty of room God knows I do. I'm your pastor. We, we have, plen- I have plenty of room to grow. This is iron sharpening iron, as, as Scripture puts it. So we've had 78 people sign up to be in these discipleship groups in the new year. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Praise God. And yet I still have younger ladies who are asking. I, I'd love to be discipled by an older, wiser woman of God. And I need, I need disciple makers. I need mentors. So disciple someone and get discipled along the way yourself. Yes, get in God's word. Get on your knees in prayer personally this new year. But let's do it collectively together with one another in 2021. Lastly, thirdly, we glorify God by living in community, by growing in discipleship, and lastly, through missions through mission, serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. Now, why have I intentionally run myself out of time to talk very much about missions? It's not because it isn't important. You know, it's, it's a third of our mission statement as a church. It is at least that important biblically. In fact, I suggest to you, said this before, keep saying it, It's the only reason God has for leaving us here on this earth after we get saved as Christians. What's what's the reason God doesn't just, you you repent of your sins and turn to him in faith, just suck you up into heaven? It's because this is the only thing that we cannot do in heaven. We have the rest of eternity to love God and love other Christians. 
community, discipleship, all that sort of thing. The one thing we cannot do in heaven is love and serve the world missionally that Jesus loves and desperately desires to save. But the reason I spent so much time on discipleship is that if you are truly growing in Christlikeness, you will, listen, you will necessarily be growing in your missional service to the world with the love of Christ. Because to be like Jesus, to be more like Jesus, is to love like Jesus. If you try and be missional without the discipleship, you will end up turning people into projects. But if you pursue Jesus with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, here's the thing, you get the missional service thrown in. And conversely, we need to feel the weight of this conviction this morning. Because again, none of us is perfect. None of us is perfectly giving our lives away to, to missional service. But if you're not, if you're not prayerfully, persistently reaching out to the world with the saving news of the gospel, the good news that we sang about this morning already, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on the cross, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have his sins forgiven and live forever with him. If that isn't the thing that wakes you up in the morning to, to tell people, to let them know, if it doesn't motivate you all throughout the day, this unquenchable desire to see others come to know the same freedom and hope and joy and eternal life that you have come to personally now experience, if that, if that isn't just the blood that courses through your spiritual veins, then you need to do a serious heart check right now. You don't know God. Because to know God, to grow in your knowledge and love for Him is necessarily to grow in your love for His people, for those He wants to save. Jesus said very plainly, if you love me, you will love those who I love. So there is no such thing as discipleship without mission. If you really love me, you won't be able to stand the idea of someone going another day without knowing me. Much less the eternal threat of their getting hit by a bus today and going to hell forever. That should keep us up at night, our, our lost loved ones. And so my challenge for us this morning and at the beginning of this new year is I just have the slogans running through my mind this morning. Just do it. Nike, just do it. I mean, we, we say we're going to do it every week here at West Hills. We end our benediction. We'll do it the same way this morning. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to follow Jesus. But talk is cheap. Don't lie in church. If you're going to say the benediction with us every week, then let's go do it. Let's make disciples. Let's grow in godliness so that, not just for our own sake, 
but for the sake of others so that we can better serve the world missionally with the love of Christ, all for the glory of God. Amen? Here's the thing. Here's your conclusion. Ah, you thought I was done. The only way to be a growing missional community is to be a gospel-centered church. You and I will never be able to do it on our own. In our own strength, we're totally unqualified for the job. And that's why our mission statement begins with, we are a gospel-centered church who glorify God by doing these things. Because we need two things if we're going to do the job. Number one, we need one another. That's the church part. We need the church for our own discipleship. You need to be here on Sundays. You need to sit under the preaching of God's word. You need to be in life. You need to be in discipleship. You need to be discipling others. We need one another to actually grow in the ways that honor and glorify God and to grow in our, our love for others missionally and our, our opportunity to serve again. You know, where do we get the, the boldness and the audacity and, and, and the motivation to, to get out there? If you're just one light in that world, you're toast. But collectively, we put our light together. We need one another. But even more, number two, we need Jesus. <laughs> we really need Jesus. That's the gospel-centered part. Without Jesus, our discipleship is just going to be you and me swapping stories, making one another into slightly better versions of ourselves. And I promise you what the world needs is not another will of all. It needs another Jesus. It needs more of Jesus. And without him, we have no reason to serve the world missionally in love. We serve because we've been served. That was 1 Samuel 12, 24. In light of all that God has done for you, that's why we serve. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. He saved you eternally. If that doesn't motivate us to want to follow him with everything in us, nothing will. Let's pray.